Anyway, good morning. It is good to see you. I am thankful that you are here with us. I got to tell you, it has been quite the weekend in my house this weekend. Uh, we are celebrating a birthday this weekend um, of my eight-year-old who is now nine. So she uh, turned nine today. I would say let's sing happy birthday to her, but in true form and fashion, she snuck out and went on the children's worship, and I think that probably was a good thing for her because if you know my children, you know the oldest one is the one with the personality who likes to be the star attraction. Well, the eight-year-old, nine-year-old Brooklyn, she's more the, the caregiver and rather would fly under the radar. So, in fact, uh, we told her we were going to take her out for a birthday dinner, and here's what she said to us. She said, I would love to go. And we said, well, Brooklyn, why don't you pick the place? And she said, okay. She said, under one condition. And we said, what? She said, no matter where I choose, you do not tell them it's my birthday and you do not allow them to come sing to me. I need you guys to pray for me because that does not fit in my book because I'm thinking we could be missing out on potentially a free dessert here. So if they want to come sing to you, so I'm really torn as your pastor right now. Do I break the trust of my eight-year-old, nine-year-old, or do I lie to the waiter and tell them it's really my birthday so I can get the dessert? So if you would... Pray for me uh, this evening and, and tomorrow as we wrap up these birthday festivities and, and how that'll go. Anyway, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. We are still in our study through Nehemiah, through our series that we have appropriately titled Rebuild. And I got to tell you, I am excited about where we are heading over the next two weeks because we are about to come to the completion of the wall. That is where we are heading over these next two weeks. And so what we are going to see over the next two weeks, I believe, is the actual intent of what the wall was for. And so I think for many of us, we are going to be blessed and surprised by the reasons Nehemiah gives for the purpose of the wall and the purpose it was supposed to serve for the people of Jerusalem. So before we get into this, uh, I do want to ask you a question as we're thinking of our text today, Nehemiah chapter 6. The question is this, have you ever given a lot of thought to retirement and what that looks like? Now, I know there are quite a few of you in the room who are already there. You're like, I am there. Some of you are retired, and your spouse has yet to let you officially retire. And so you're wondering what retirement looks like. Some of you are enjoying it. Uh, some of you I've talked to, some of the fellows who are retired, uh, because of the honey-do list you've been given by your wives, you're not so sure it was a good idea to retire, but you are retired nonetheless. But have you given any thought to what it looks like? Or maybe you're in it now and you're wondering, is this what retirement was supposed to be? Some of us may be at a point where we're in the midst of our lives and we, for whatever reason, in the midst of our work, in the midst of family, in the midst of ball games and, and, and drama and everything that happens with life, some of you may have hit a point where you pause and you take a look around and maybe you have this thought, Lord, when is all this going to end? Lord, when is the the pain? When is the disunity? When is the, the hatred that we see in this world today? When is this going to end. 
You see, too oftentimes, I think as Christians, we take a moment where we pause. Maybe we haven't hit retirement yet, but we do pause, and we take a look at the world, and we start doing some self-assessment, and we want to sit back and simply say, man, I can't wait for all of this to end. I can't wait for the day that Jesus comes back. In fact, one of my best friends, I used to call him every day because we prayed for one another, and I would ask him, I was like, brother, how are you doing today? And he'd wake up, he'd say, I'm disappointed. And I'd say, well, how on earth can you be disappointed? You're living a great life. What on earth could be disappointing? He said, because I woke up today and I opened my eyes and I'm still here. Jesus hasn't come. So I'm disappointed. Well, I started thinking about what he said there. And I started thinking, you know, as a believer in Christ, it is good to know the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It is good to know what is to come. It is good to look forward to the second coming of Christ where all of a sudden every pain, every hurt, every chaos moment, every sin is going to be wiped away and everything is going to be made the way God intended it. And we are going to be reunited with Jesus Christ. We look forward to that day and that is a good thing to look forward to however because the second coming hasn't happened because we have not been called to glory yet we still have work to do here you see I remember in seminary meeting some wonderful people I had a chance to meet a lot of people who had been called to be pastors to be music ministers to be youth ministers uh, to be missionaries, um, to be evangelists. Those were always my favorite because you could never get them to stop talking. Um, but I just loved being around all these wonderful people. And I remember being around the missionaries, and every day when we'd have conversations about ministry and what ministry looked like for them, the conversation would ultimately turn this way where they would say, man, my heart is in, and then fill in the blank for whatever country they had come from or whatever country they were faithfully going to serve. And I thought to myself, man, this is good, and this is right, and this is of God. But here was my question for these missionaries. If that is truly where your heart is, then why are you here in Fort Worth, Texas? I mean, if your heart is somewhere else, shouldn't you be there? If, if the Lord has called you somewhere else, then shouldn't you be where the Lord has called you? Why are you here right now? And then I'd always say this, but why, while you are here, there is work to be done. Because clearly, God has called you to the task at hand that is before you. In other words, he's called you to the next up moment or the next up task, if you will. You know, when you think about it and you look at Jesus himself, you see Jesus in the midst of his ministry found himself at a point where he literally raised a man from the dead. Now, of all the miracles we see Jesus do, to me, that is probably one of the more impressive miracles that you see. He raised a man from the dead. And so what you would generally think is there would be a sense of awe and wow and wonderment and applause happening. I mean, this wasn't a parlor trick. This wasn't a card trick. He didn't pull a magic bunny out of a hat. He literally raised a man from the dead. So you think people would celebrate, but that's not what happened at all. In fact, when we read this story in John chapter 11, we see that they tried to kill him. But did it stop Jesus? No, because there was another next up task. You see, his next up moment was the cross and then the resurrection. Did it end there? No. There was another next up moment for Jesus. 
And it would be that after his resurrection, he would ultimately return and he would then ascend. And then his next, next up moment that we know is coming is the second coming of Christ, followed by the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. And that will be the final next up moment. Now, some of you may be wondering, Pastor, where are you getting this next up kind of moments that you're talking about? What do you mean by next up? Well, you see, I grew up playing sports, and I had a very quirky baseball coach. And he taught us to do things with baseball that I never dreamt we would ever do. He was a firm believer that your best hitter should be able to bunt the ball. He would make us put our gloves down and put on these circular wooden boxes so we could catch a ball using two hands all the time. And then if you were a catcher, you had to spend every practice with multiple encyclopedias in your hands doing squats before he allowed you to even put on your gear and get on the field. And then when practice ended, guess what else you were doing? Doing squats with the encyclopedias again. If you weren't on the field, he had you in the dugout. Do you know what you were doing in the dugout? You weren't watching the game. You weren't watching practice. You were juggling. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you I learned to juggle because of my baseball coach. And I'm pretty good at it. Not with knives and bowling pins and all that, but with baseballs. Pretty good at it. But the one thing I remember my coach taught us was next up. It was every sentence ended with the phrase next up. We're going to go to batting practice next up. Everybody hit the field for drills next up. Even when we'd get to a game, He'd start giving us the signals, and he'd yell at us, next up. And then finally, he explained to us what that phrase meant. You see, to him, it meant that it was always going to be about the next man up. It was going to be about the next moment, the next pitch, the next at bat, which also included life itself. In life, he told us it was going to be about the next task, or the next obstacle, or the next team, or the next adversity, or the next goal. In other words, he taught us as young men that we should never stop and realize that our tasks and our purpose were never done. You see, as Christians, the truth is we will not reach a day, this side of glory, when we have done all that there is to do. There is no retirement from the Christian faith. There is no retirement from Christian service. In fact, I would argue that there's not even a pause button that you can hit. We are all called to the next up. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to read this account from Nehemiah where we see this next up concept played out with Nehemiah and the Jews who were rebuilding the wall. So if you have your Bibles, we are in Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. And as you get there in the Word, would you go ahead and stand in honor in the reading of the Word of God? In Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, Nehemiah, speaking of the next up moment, says this. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakephorim. 
in the plain of Onu. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I should go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced that prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, excuse me, and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God. According to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to just to open your word and to worship you through your truth. Father, I pray that today, through your text, through your word, help us to see the next up task that you've given us. Father, prepare our hearts and our minds for your truth. And God, according to your word, may you and you alone be glorified. For we love you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, as we can see here, Nehemiah is getting closer to completing the wall. Though the Jews were beginning to finish the wall, Nehemiah quickly realized that there was still more work to be done. So what we are seeing here, if you were actually reading Nehemiah along with Ezra, you would see that we are in a similar point where in Ezra, the temple was rebuilt first and then the people's hearts were prepared. Well, here in Nehemiah, first we see Nehemiah rebuild the wall and then his focus is ultimately going to turn to the people and to the hearts of the people. So throughout this text, Nehemiah is going to constantly point the people through his story and ultimately us today towards perseverance because there would always be a need for a next up task. 
In other words, no matter what the task looks like, whether it's a rebuild with clear instructions or whether it's an attack or insults that come our way, we as believers in Christ will always face some sort of next up task that would ultimately cause us to lean upon Christ and lean upon the perseverance that can be found in him. So what we see in the first nine verses is this. We see a calling to perseverance through open opposition. Now, when we read verse 1 again, we clearly see that the work is moving forward. The wall itself, the breaches are now closed, yet Nehemiah tells us that the gates have not yet been put up. So what we see is the work is near its completion, but it's not yet a time to celebrate. So when we see this text, we need to see it the way Nehemiah does. He has his eyes on it to see both the good progress that has happened, but also the work that still remains. You see, the wall had been built, but the gates have yet to be installed. So there is still more work to be done. And Nehemiah was preparing for that next up type of work. We get into verse 2 and 3. And we see Nehemiah gets a message to meet with Sanballat and Geshem. And here's the interesting thing about this. These were not unknown people to Nehemiah. Rather, these were people who Nehemiah knew all too well. People that we had already seen in the first five chapters. And in verse 1, Nehemiah calls them specifically their enemies. And so they call for a meeting. But Nehemiah responds by letting them know that the work that he has been called to was so significant that he had no time for petty distractions. Now think about this for a moment. According to the world's standards for Nehemiah, his original job, being the cupbearer to the king, was a greater work. It was a greater task because the king of a nation trusted him completely to make sure that whatever was put before the king was good and right for the king. So naturally, the world would say, Nehemiah, your original job, your original task is more important than what it is you are doing currently. However, Nehemiah did not see it that way. You see, for Nehemiah, a follower of God, he saw his assignment as a great work. Excuse me. He saw that what he did mattered Because God's name was at stake in Jerusalem. You see, for us today, we have to ask ourselves as believers, what work are we doing? When we see the ministry of the church, do we count the ministry of the church as a great work? Or do we flippantly cast it off hoping for someone else to step up? You see, God has called us to live out our lives by being thankful for what it is that we have been given, for knowing the word, and for trusting the plan of God. He has called us to a great work in this place. You see, for us today, just like Nehemiah, the point is less about what we do and more about how we do it and who we do it for. You see, loving and serving one another and proclaiming the gospel in our lives is what makes our work so great. 
And here's the truth. When a great work of God begins, the enemies will come. When a great work of God begins, the enemies will attack. The enemies will try to distract us from the work. They will try to draw us away from the work. They will try to make us think that there are more important things than the work and the life and the ministry of the church. However, we should realize, just like Nehemiah in verse 3, that we are doing a great work and we cannot come down or we cannot stop. You see, for us today, when you read the Gospels according to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, our great work is the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why we exist. It's why we are here. Remember, this church is here as a reflection of the glory of God. This church is a resemblance of the victory that can be found in Jesus. Every church in our community that proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord is a lighthouse and a beacon for the hope and the future and the ministry and the glory that can be found in knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But we still have work to do. We get to verse 4 and we see that it wasn't enough for Nehemiah to say that. In fact, the enemies persisted in meeting with him. They called to him four times. But notice Nehemiah's resolute steadfastness. You see, Nehemiah was not leaving the work until it was completed. You see, the same should be true of us when it comes to rebuilding the church. We need to see that this task is unfinished. And as believers in Christ, called together by the glory of God, we need to see this task all the way through until completion. Some people would then ask, well, pastor, when does that day come? When does completion come? Does it come when we have a new building? Does it come when there's fresh carpet and paint? Does it come when we pack this place out? No, it comes when the second coming of Christ comes. It comes when Jesus Christ calls us home in glory. That's when it comes. We have work to do. Now, in verse 5 through 7, we see that uh, Sanballat and Geshem were not through. They send an open letter, um, now sent to be read in public. Now, this letter issued a challenge based upon false rumors. In other words, Sanballat was now trying to bully, intimidate, and lie in order to stop the work on the wall. And since this was an open letter, it meant that anyone along the way could hear the words in this letter. And so now rumors were being circulated about Nehemiah and about what the Jews were actually doing when it came to the work on the wall. Now think about that for a moment. Have you ever found yourself in the midst of doing a good work for the glory of God only to hear people come to you about rumors that were not true? Have you ever found yourself in a moment where maybe you weren't hearing the rumors, but you were actually helping spread the rumors in the church based on little to no information. You see, when it comes to our faith family, we should always deal with facts. And if we don't know what the facts are, 
we should go directly to the source. Because here's the reality. Even in the midst of the false claims, sometimes we can find the attacks, not just physical, but the attacks can come from the words of others. Let's deal with the word of God. Let's deal with the facts. Let's go directly to the source. Then we get into verse 8 and 9, and here's what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah simply rejects the false claims, and then he goes right back to doing what God had called him to do. You see, our enemies can only intimidate us. Our enemies can only bully us, but they can never stop the work of God. We need to keep doing what it is that God has called us to do. And then if he calls us home, we need to trust as a church that there will be a next up person to take on the assignment that God has given. You see, as a church, we need to be careful of speedy reactions and arguments. Rather, as a church, we need to be a place of prayer. We need to be a family who seeks biblical counsel. We need to seek the word. We need to stand firm. As a church, we need to <coughs> excuse me. As a church, we need to persist and persevere in the work that God has called us to. Now here's the key to all of this. The key is prayer. You see, too many churches in our day today are abandoning the power of prayer. We need to be a church that prays. We need to be a church that finds ourselves on our knees before the throne of God, asking God to continue to press us forward in the next up task that he has given us. In fact, we see the importance of prayer in Nehemiah. We see the consistent emphasis that Nehemiah places on prayer. We see it in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, chapter 2 verse 4, chapter 4 verse 4, chapter 4 verse 9, chapter 5 verse 19, and again in chapter 6 verse 9. Prayer is vital to who we are and what we do. Let us be a church that prays. In verses 10 through 14, we see Nehemiah call us not only to a perseverance to, through open opposition, but we see Nehemiah call us to perseverance through secret opposition. Now, when we see verse 10 and verse 11, we see Shemaiah, uh, the prophet, a well-known prophet um, who is known for declaring the will of God, comes to Nehemiah, calls for Nehemiah to take refuge in the temple. Now, this sounds good in theory. However, Nehemiah, knowing the word of God, knowing better, knew that Shemaiah, or excuse me, knew that Shemaiah was not sent by God when he said these words. And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? In other words, Nehemiah knew that a non-priest like himself entering the temple of God would ultimately lead to death. He knew this because Scripture says it in Numbers 18, verses 7, and Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. So immediately he knows that the prophet of God was not sent by God because he urged Nehemiah to do something forbidden by God. You see, for us today, 
If someone tells us to do exactly what the Bible says not to do, you know that person does not speak for God. We need to know the word. We need to be obedient to the word of God. If we want to know the will of God, then we need to know the word of God. If you want to know whether or not someone is revealing the will of God, then simply evaluate their claims according to the scriptures. You see, we need to be people of the book. We need to be people who pray And we need to be people who know the word. We get to verse 12 and 13. And we learn that Shemaiah has not only come to try to kill Nehemiah. But we learn that he had been hired by Sanballat and Tobiah. Because he then begins to pronounce a prophecy against Nehemiah. In other words, he's looking to destroy Nehemiah's reputation. And intimidate him once again in order to stop the work. But notice Nehemiah's response in verse 14. Nehemiah could have attacked Shemaiah. Nehemiah was wealthy. We talked about this a week ago. Nehemiah had people following him, lots of people. He could have, in his own hands, killed Shemaiah. But that's not what he does here. Rather, he commits his cause again back to the Lord in prayer. He believes through prayer that God will settle the accounts. He believes through prayer, according to the word, that God will overthrow his enemies. Notice Nehemiah left the matter in the hands of God. He had no plans for a counterattack. Rather, the only plan he had was to simply return to the work. You see, too often times we allow our enemies to distract us. We need to stay focused on the task and stay focused on the work. You see, as a church, we can expect the attacks to come. As a church, sadly, we can expect many attacks to come from within our own family. Our attacks can come from the people around us that we call our brothers and sisters? Are we prepared to persevere through those attacks? Remember, it was Jesus who one of his own disciples, Judas, betrayed him. And when those attacks come from within, like we see with Jesus, like we see here with Nehemiah, usually they come from a place of greed and power. But when the attacks come We need to give them over to God. We should grieve for our enemies. We should pray over them. And we don't need to launch an attack or an underground coup in order to overthrow them. The power of God will take care of that. We just need to be people of prayer and people of the word. In other words, like we see with Nehemiah here, we need to trust God. We need to trust the plan. And ultimately, we need to trust the process. You see, no one ever made the claim that the rebuild would be easy. No one ever guaranteed us a day off from the battle. 
No one ever told us that we would be able to hit the pause button when it came to the battles we would fight. Sometimes the battles we see, we'll see directly in our face, but sometimes those battles are going to be more covert. Either way, we are called to simply trust God and persevere. When opposition comes, let us be people who pray. Let us be people who know the word. Let us be people who keep doing what God has called us to because God has called us to a great task, and that task is unfinished. You see, there is still work to be done, and it's time for us as a church to lay aside the distractions and persevere in that work. We need to focus on the work, focus on the next up task, and ultimately, by the grace of God, we need to focus on the rebuild, the work that he has called us to here. Let's pray together.